This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Again, welcome to For Your Benefit. We're here today, March 6, 2023. I am Bob Lines, and we have fellow seminar presenter, guest, and knower of all things financial. John Jillick, certified financial planner, and again, fellow seminar presenter. Morning, John. Morning, Bob. How are you? Well, real good now. I mean, you get to carry the torch here, and I just follow and ask questions. So uh, we're talking about personal insurances today, a personal insurance overview. Um, and I guess the general comment starting out is there's a 100% chance that we all pass away someday. Life insurance, for the majority of us, can come in an important vehicle to provide financial security for those we left behind. Now, that's the beginning, and I'm sure you can take us to the end of the show, and we'll be glued to the radio. Well, let's hope so, Bob. I mean, it's the number one we're talking about topics. John's uh, looking at me like. uh, Can you hear me, Bob? (laughs) Oh, here we go. I can hear you now. Okay. So, Bob, the uh, you know the the lack of excitement for this topic is 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 pretty pretty obvious because uh, you know when you start talking about things like uh, death and uh, diaper changes, long term care, uh, accidents, lawsuits, uh, you know, being you know sued for your your personal property, uh, your income attached, people kind of tune it out. But the reality for all of us is that uh, you know you need to be prepared. There's insurances that you have to have in your life. And if you don't, uh, it can wreak havoc on your family. And I, I can tell you, after you know, 23 plus years now of working with folks at every stage of the spectrum, uh, that that's where when you talk to a financial planner, you start to hear us get serious and say, "Hey, you really need to take a look at this." And, and when we're teaching these uh, seminars um, in in a room of feds, you know, you start questioning whether folks have legal documents, wills, uh, powers of attorney, just basic things, advanced directive, healthcare power of attorney. Uh, it's shocking when when you see in a room of 50 people, maybe 10 or 15 raise their hands. And uh, and then you go on to ask about their life insurance and in a catastrophic event, uh, you know, how much insurance do you have? And, and a lot of the times we're teaching folks that are at or near the retirement point. And then the question we're asking them is, you know, are you carrying too much life insurance? And so the spectrum, uh, or what I would call the timeline, because we had mentioned that in the tagline for the show, is, uh, you know, when you're just starting out, um, if you're single, you're a solo Fed, uh, we're talking to Feds today, how much life insurance do you really need? Um, then you get married, uh, you buy a house. Well, how much life insurance do you need at that point? Well, you'd want to cover maybe the mortgage, but you and I know even in a death uh, payout, paying off the mortgage, especially if it's a very low interest rate, isn't the right move. Uh, but just simply having that there, income replacement, then we get into kids. Before you ever try to have your first kid, you know, when now we're looking at at least half a million dollars on each other. And, and that's that's from a, a life insurance needs analysis. And that's I know I've talked to you in the past about that. It's a pet peeve because it's something that is the basic tool of life insurance and it's never used. And you, you know it's never used because when you talk to someone in the street and you say, hey, you know, do you have any life insurance yet? When you bought that, how did they determine the amount? Oh, they just threw an amount at me. And oh, did, really? did they look at, yeah, yeah. So did, did they look at the, the income replacement, the bereavement time? Uh, today's dollars, what do you think for a, a funeral expense, Bob? I mean, unfortunately, you and I have both experienced too many family and friends that have passed. But uh, for a budget for a funeral, what would you throw out there for that? And when when you talk to people now, your 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 um, uh, professional career, of course, is to enlighten people with this. But right. do you then get the question? Yeah, I got a need. How much should I get? And that's that's a life insurance needs analysis, and and, and I I can say it's solo life insurance needs analysis because if you Google that, you'll get uh, hundreds of uh, websites out there where you can go through and plug in some basic information and get an estimate for how much life insurance you would need in a cast- catastrophic event. And of course, uh, if Bob, you and I are married for the show. If, if you, uh, you know, die, 
uh, and I've got the house and we've got the vacation house and in the Poconos and we've got uh, our classic car collection and, you know, kids that are just finishing college. There, there's a significant amount of expense there. Oh, plus you and I had talked about making sure the kids' weddings are covered, and you know that's what at least fifty, sixty, seventy thousand bucks in some cases. So you, you get into a very significant amount very quickly. But you know now you and I are at the other end of the spectrum. We're maxing out our TSPs. The kids are all gone. The grandkids are either starting to pop out or you know may may soon. Uh, and, and so you look at that and the needs change. We don't now need as much life insurance, but we need most likely because we're getting closer to that magical age of, you know, 60, 70, 80, where potentially one of us would need, and, and it's not potentially, it's a 50% chance of one and two that one of us is going to need some form of long-term care before we both pass. And so that insurance is now our priority covering that mammoth amount of stuff that was happening once we were, you know, you know, getting, got together, bought a house, had some kids, getting them through, you know, college, through weddings, you know, through second marriages, through divorces. I mean, you you know, the story, but uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the timeline is, is looking at it, you know, from a, a, a mile high and then coming back and saying, okay, how much do we really need? And it's interesting, too, when I do these classes, the folks that I run into, they're single, never been married, no plans to get married, no kids. They've got significant assets. They've got a house, cars, TSP. And they go, John, I mean, after your talk, I mean, I'm carrying five uh, multiples of FEGLI. And I go, why are you doing that? That's that's like a vacation every year for you. You're missing out on because, you know, again, who's your beneficiaries? Well, my brother, my sister, uh, my charity, my church. Well, how much do they realistically need to get? I mean, if you pass away, um, they get everything. Do they really need you to be paying hundreds of dollars a month uh, for this additional bonus check, you know, tax-free called, you know, FEGLI? And the answer is no. And so I think that's that's a way to look at it as well. So I don't want to just talk to the folks that are having all these kids and everything else and turn anybody off that's single. If you're single, you, you've got the, the opportunity to not have to pay for a lot for life insurance because you don't need a lot. So if I was a life life insurance salesman, uh, which I would never be. No hey man, watch it. No, <laughs> watch no, it. No, no disrespect to that. It's just. You know, I know my taxes, but if I get outside of my uh, playing field, uh, <clears throat> I can never carry on a conversation with regards to what we're talking about today. But what about the single individual? Is there anything that they should be concerned about with getting life insurance to take care of maybe their parents? <clears throat> uh, I think that's a great idea. And, and I think you just hit on something, which is I, I just finished talking about you know us at the stage where the kids are gone and now we need to turn to long-term care we should have done that ahead of you know the kids being gone we should have looked at maybe converting some of our policies uh you know looking at that federal long-term care plan which we'll talk about is no longer available it's on hold and uh yeah looking up and down the family tree uh you know are mom and dad going to become a burden on us one day and that's not to say you know my mom or dad were a burden but i sure as heck didn't want to change their diaper and have to you know put my entire life on hold which is what happens and and i find when i teach a class even even a virtual class i'll i'll ask that question i said geez if there's anyone in this class that's willing to throw themselves up in the in the chat box and talk about their personal situation with a mom or a dad, grandparents, uncles, aunts. And that's where you you really want to turn to because unless you've been through it, it's like signing up for Medicare. I can't help you sign up for Medicare because I haven't done it yet. Once I turn 65, I'll, I'll be your expert. Uh, but it's all book book learning until something really bad happens to you. And, and I just did a class uh, this past week, and I, I had a lady, uh, you know, put her hand up and just let it out there. And she, she told people it wiped her mother out. It, she it was, you know, four and a half of the hardest years of her life. And, you know, there, it, there's, nothing, there's nothing pleasant. There's nothing good about it. There's no great outcome other than the fact that she passed and she was you know, not suffering anymore. And, and you start looking at that and you look at the cost. And she said it was ha- over half a million dollars. Wow. And so if you're not prepared for that with some life insurance, and, and again, the, the classic case I, I lay on the folks that are married is 50-50 chance. So we're looking at one of us is going to have a really bad problem. 
we're not, not just going to pass, you know, quickly or tragically or in our sleep. So one of us is going to need some form of cure. Um, if it's you and it happens to be Alzheimer's in this case, in the class, the example was her mom had had Alzheimer's and, and she went, uh, she went 12 years in a nursing home, you know, eight to 10,000 bucks a month. And that's, that's in today's dollars, you know, it was a rising scale. Probably when she got into the nursing home, uh, it might've been, you know, six or seven grand a month. But that's a 5% inflation factor, and that's what folks miss out on is general inflation is 3%, not what we're going through right now, but straight-line inflation is 3%. Inflation for long-term care is 5%. And so that's what you're facing, not to mention they have a massive shortage of CNAs, uh, nursing assistants, and folks that, that can do this custodial care. And it's, it's the same thing. If you don't have enough caregivers to go around, you don't have enough facilities to go around. Let me ask you, Bob, what happens to the price? I think it goes up. It goes up significantly. So 5% might be the, the conservative end of this thing. And so here's, here's the rub. And I, I kind of, you know, we've gone through the early stages, massive amount of life insurance. And I do want to say that because 20-year term insurance is slated in the favor of the consumer, meaning it's the best price point. Uh, up to 20 years, usually it's not that much more expensive to, to pay for 20-year term. Beyond 20 years to 30 years, you might want to look at some combination of term and permanent. But I love 20-year term for young couples because, quite frankly, you know, you can boot them out of your house at 18, right? So the financial <laughs> obligation technically ends right then. But 20-year term, in, in, in this is another important point, convertible, meaning you can convert that insurance at any time. I always tell folks, when you know, after I talk to you about life insurance, we talk about a 20-year term policy or some other term policy. It's going to be 20-year term because I want to help the consumer uh, as a fiduciary get the right fit for them. Uh, and I, I just say, listen, after we have that conversation, you look at the quotes from every major company. The, the all every quote that I show you is going to be the maximum conversion period. And when you're up at late night TV watching and you see some commercial, you know, we got insurance for you. Uh, it's going to be a lot more. Ex, it's going to be a less expensive, not a lot less expensive, but it won't have the same conversion feature. And conversion means, again, if I become terminal over the next 20 years of that policy, I can convert it to permanent at any time. And then that'll last me for the rest of my life. Very good. And I, I, I think it's time for a break. Andrew, the finest engineer uh, in the engineering world, has the um, 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 magic stick now. And we're going to take a break. And Andrew's going to tell us what we need to know. Times have changed, but WEPA's mission remains the same to promote the health, welfare, and financial well being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage, regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage. WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. All righty. Back, back to the mic. So, John, where did we leave off? Well, we left off talking about uh, term, 20-year term, uh, and, and that's one of my slides when I teach is that, you know, what's the best way to approach insurance? And it's going to be uh, your group co employer coverage uh, term and, and maybe some form of permanent. Uh, but, but the problem with all life insurance is that is if you're talking about a private policy, you could have a policy that takes you to age 100. The problem is every 24 years, prices double. So by the very nature of life insurance, every 24 years, the value, the current spending value at that time of your life insurance is cut in half. And we all know that being a millionaire now isn't like being a millionaire 24 years ago. And being a millionaire 24 years ago wasn't like being a millionaire 24 years before that because <laughs> it was a massive amount of money. Now to be a millionaire, uh, you know, per the 70s and 80s, if you don't have four million bucks, you're not a millionaire. 
And, and so, you know, I always tell folks, you know, you know what happens when you get to a million dollars in, in, in net worth or TSP and they're all like edge of their seats. You know, I wish I could do the expressions over the radio, but uh, I just wait for a little pause and I said, nothing, nothing happens. It's just a sad time in your life because you've been saving up and you finally hit a million dollars and then you surely don't want to go out and tell anybody. Definitely not your family. Right. Yeah. But there's no ding, ding, ding. They don't send you a certificate in the mail. I send my 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 clients a million dollar chocolate bar, but that's as good as it gets, you know. <laughs> but yeah, there's no there's and a lot of times you see these milestones and 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 one of the things I, I always say about life insurance is that I, I don't work with a lot of folks that are beginning their lives, starting with the kids in the house, but. Uh, because I'm working with folks that are much older, the folks that are about to transition to retirement. There's only so much time in my day. Same thing with you as a CPA. There's only so many clients you can realistically handle. It's called capacity. And uh, But when I was working with a lot of younger folks, uh, you know, I, I saw a disturbing trend, and, and I've confirmed this across other planners and advisors over the years, which is that um, you know, you, you'd have a young couple come in, uh, and dad, young dad would always be overinsured, and, and young mom would be grossly underinsured. And I'm just being honest, right? I'm always in, and I don't care what blender relationship you have right now. That's still a trend that I that I see happening, where you'll have one person insured for half a million million, and in in mom is insured for a hundred grand. And I go, how does that math even work out for you? If and I, I tell these young dads, I'm like, listen, you know, or young parents, I said, listen, if young mom dies is the primary caregiver because i mean I, I have six kids i know how it works right and most people that have kids if they really step back so yeah mom didn't the majority of the work back in the day right but how does it work if she dies and you you have a hundred grand to work with it's tax-free but that'll be gone in a flash you know because now you need to put you're going to need to hire an au pair unless you have a set of parents that are going to come in every single day and assist you so that you can do what continue to work uh, so yeah, that's, that's a big disparity. And I, I caution the grandparents in every class I teach, I say, listen, you, you want to get on the phone and do two things tonight. You're financially savvy. That's why you're about to retire from federal service. Uh, you don't have a significant debt load, maybe the remaining balance of your mortgage, but you have to now worry that one of your grandkids or all of them might have to come live with you should a tragedy happen. So we want to take a look at, do your, do you, the parents of your grandchildren have, they're basic legal documents deciding who's going to get custody of the grandkids and who's going to manage their financial affairs and that there's trusts that are being, going to be put in place, who's in charge of all that. And, and more importantly, we're going to ask them how much life insurance they have because that life insurance is going to prevent you from being financially distraught or maybe have to go back to work yourself in the case of one or both parents passing away. And, and it's amazing the hush that comes across the room. I was like, the stuff nobody wants to talk about. But, you know, here 23, almost 24 years in, I've seen it happen. And the cases where there was adequate life insurance, things are they're not fine because you had a parent pass away. Uh, but where there's not adequate life insurance, it's tough. And, and it, it limits your choices. Is there ever a time when the uh, full life insurance that one has had isn't necessary as much because somebody's been good with saving, investing, and the like. Yeah, but the problem then is you're, you know, you're watching that nest egg evaporate. You're watching that legacy potential evaporate. You know, and and I I know for myself, uh, you know, I want you know even after the the kids are you know gone through college, married. Yeah, I, I want them to, to be financially stable even up to the retirement years. And it doesn't take a lot, as you know, to, to, to grow a huge amount uh, for their retirement with just with a doubling of money over an extended period of time. And what I mean by that is, let's say I leave each of the kids in a trust, you know, or would have money that, that they wouldn't be able to access until they're 60 you know, some portion of it. But, you know, for a, let's say for a 20 year old or an 18 or 16 year old, you know, you could put $100,000 into a good mutual fund, averaging 10% and roughly every seven years have it double. You know, so 100 doubles to 2 to 4 to 8 to 1.6 million, 3.2, 6.4. You can literally set up a, an incredible legacy. And, and that's what I think we're looking at across the planning spectrum, even with our CPA friends, <clears throat> is how do we, uh, you know, leverage this uh, the ability of the Roth IRA long term with no RMDs to do exactly that, pass on a massive tax-free benefit. And so you're starting to hear a lot more about Roth conversions and things like that in the wake of the SECURE Act, which 
you know, again, go out in the street uh, and, and ask people randomly about the Secure Act, and you, you're just going to get people blankly staring at you. <laughs> but you used to be able to extend an inherited IRA over your lifetime. So if I, I'm your son, Bob, and mom's already passed away, I can inherit your TSP. I used to be able to extend that over my lifetime. Now I can only extend it for five, for 10 years. I don't have to take anything out until the, the last day of the 10th year, but it, it's really kicked planning into high gear because you take a single fed they're so proud to be a million dollar tsp participant but the simple fact is if they have a solo beneficiary not their spouse that million dollars has got to be distributed especially if if it's all pre-tax over a 10-year period well you know bob you did a great job with me as your son or you know as my dad because now as your son i'm a i'm a plastic surgeon in la and I make, you know, I make a million and a half dollars a year. Now, some people are like, well, I don't feel sorry for you. Well, I, I, I do because when, unfortunately, my dad, you know, saved and scrimped and mom and dad did. And he's a sole survivor. He passes away. Uh, the feds want how much? What's the highest tax bracket? It's it's easily 50%. Yeah. When in the, oh, in the state of California, wants 10. Oh, them. Right? Yeah. Oh, them. Right? Well, Maryland, Maryland's no bargain either, so... No, it's exactly. And so DC, yeah, yeah, no. So we so we have to move to a place that that is you know you know no no state tax that has a lot less opportunities. So just, <laughs> there's no there's no win, and I know you you fight that battle every day. But but continuing on down with this, uh, we had talked about long term care. I mean, I think we should dive off into that because I think the, and we had talked about this ahead of time, which is. You know, it's a tragedy because long-term care uh, was started back in 1974 uh, by a company called GE. Not not a little tiny company, and GE was has a huge insurance division. So they pioneered it. Uh, other companies immediately said, "Hey, we can copy that." And then you had a disaster out in the in the Southwest where you had a high density of folks that were older in states like Arizona, uh, where that that insurance just that they came up with blew up because they didn't do the, the homework on it correctly. And then decades later, you know, of course, uh, GE spun off Genworth and you had MetLife dropping their coverage. And, uh, and so I, I, the vision, I think with these companies, and I even said that to you is our, our own employer plan dropped off in the early two thousands and the federal plan, which you, you could no longer apply to after, I think it was December 16th. Uh, was that the date? or 19th, 16th, I believe. I remember the date, but I don't remember the yeah, year. It's, it's close enough because it's over. I mean, it's, 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 that was the finish line. Uh, so they said, we're, we're putting it on hold. Well, as I revealed to you, I, I, I don't know how they bring it back. And even if they ever did bring it back, it would be such a limited benefit and a significant premium that I, I don't know that the value is going to be there. And, and even the, the plan they just stopped Compared to the plan the feds were putting out there when it first started back in the early 2000s, the benefit was stripped down to probably a half or a third of what it was versus the cost. And so that's the issue is, you know, here you have these feds now waiting. But what happens if you're waiting and you develop a health condition that prevents you from getting the insurance coverage? So that's my concern. And, and the question came up on our, we'll call it the annual NITP board meeting of, should we still talk to people about long-term care in these classes? Absolutely. How can you not talk about, after death, death is 100%. Uh, the <laughs> next highest percentage chance of you needing insurance is long-term care, where it's 50-50. And I got great news for the single people. Uh, you know, if, if you're single, there's only a 33% chance, one in three. But here's here's the reality of that is your boyfriend or girlfriend is going to leave you 100% chance when they have to change your diaper. So I always joke about that, but I mean, there, there's a lot of wisdom there. So I, I worry about my single folks more than the married folks because they got that first line of defense that would have to get divorced, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you just want to, you know, throw in a little, you know, humor in the game here. Uh, th- that's what I see is I, I just see that there's just now this void in, in, in the feds need to avoid, right? The void because they need to get serious about the long-term care. Uh, and there's other ways to do it. There's hybrid policies out there where you can look at your life insurance and say, geez, and I had a case like this a couple months ago, these feds were still paying for a million dollars a piece on each other. And I said, who's it for? 
and look at the premium cost. And they had the five multiples of FEGLI apiece. It was astronomically expensive because they're over 60 now. And that looks like if you look at the rates for FEGLI on the OPM website, uh, they go up exponentially as you get into your 60s, 70s, and it, it's not worth keeping that coverage. It's it's much less expensive to take uh, another route. And so reevaluating that coverage, uh, saying, do we need this much? And if you cut all that, don't cut, cut it out until you get insured with someone new. But apply for a $250,000 policy as an example with a long-term care rider in, in the way that that would work. And it's every major carrier out there, names you would know. I won't rattle them off on the air here, but uh, but names you would know uh, that you can get insured with if you're healthy and in, in good condition. But with a long-term care rider, the basic idea of how they work is on a $250,000 policy, it would pay out up to $10,000 a month Where's your long-term care if you, you need two of the activities of daily living? So if you need help going to the bathroom, transferring, moving around, uh, eating, bathing, uh, continence, which is depends, right? That is a brand name, uh, diaper change. So if you need help with those two of those activities of daily living, uh, and then you, this policy kicks in up to 10000 a month, and that's tax-free money and folks are like yeah but if i you know if i use it for two months and i die well then your spouse gets the balance of the two hundred and fifty thousand uh tax-free as a death benefit and then the question immediately comes up well, what's the cost i'm like well the cost is probably close to that of a luxury car between the two of you if you're a couple uh but is it worth it well think about it if one of you suddenly is paying for the other one who now needs alzheimer's 24 7 care and that bill starts coming in from the care facility for eight to ten thousand dollars a month. Where's that money coming from? Wow! And, and if it comes out of their TSP, Bob, what happens? It's all pre-tax. I mean, eventually they hit a trigger where it's above a certain percentage of their AGI. How does that all work? Well, it's going to go whatever that comes out. Then it goes on top of whatever their let's say they're retired, their annuity, the taxable portion of their annuity, and or if they're doing Social Security. Um, it can get, I won't say it, it will be devastating, but it certainly won't be as pleasant as what it was before. <clears throat> but if they're in a, if you have a spouse in a full-term facility, there's a certain percentage of that facility, the, the, the staying there and that they can then deduct. Is it 7.5% of AGI? Uh, good or question. Has change now? No, I'm reasonably certain it's 7.5%. Okay. So, so there's some, I mean, at least if you're pulling out a pre-tax TSP, there's some benefit on the other end that it's going, the majority of it to long-term care from yeah. a tax standpoint. Yeah. But those are things that, I mean, why, I mean, again, let's put an insurance policy between us and having to figure all that out. And, and something very important to remember for the listeners today is that, uh, you know, the, the, length of stay in a nursing home average has is, is always been right at around three years. But what they're not giving you in that stat is, is that there's men and women involved and men don't last that long on average and women do last longer. And so if you're out shopping your care and I've got to optimize premium, uh, we might go with a shorter term policy, especially if there's no cognitive history on, on you know, his side, you know, say dad or granddad didn't have long term, didn't have a cognitive disorder. Uh, you know, we might go shorter term. Now he comes back and says, listen, my uncle was doing some really weird stuff. And so was my grandfather once they got up in their 70s and 80s and we had to track them down a few times. We might be leaning towards a much longer long term care policy for him. Uh, and, and again, you, you have to do a lot of due diligence as, as a life agent as you, as you come up with these plans. And, and people that have been through it recognize the need and they have no problem throwing out the premium dollars. And, and I always like to say to folks, and just think about it, what's, what's the 100% certainty that's going to happen to us? We're going to die. You're going to die. So at some point in time, those $250,000 policies on each other are going to pay out tax-free. It's not like you're not going to get the money back. Right. But who's going to get it back and the timing of it, you know, leads to be seen. And and think about that, Bob. You know, if, if uh, I die first, you get a quarter million dollars tax free. What could you do with that money? Well, you could use it to bury me and you could use it to continue to pay the premiums on your policy. 
You put you right. put the, the remaining money in a in a bond or a note and use the interest payment to pay the the remaining premium. And what I like about that strategy too is that at least with these what, what are called gear, whole life or guaranteed universal life, uh, as long as you pay the premium on time, it doesn't lapse. So they're called guaranteed no lapse, and that fixed the problem of those universal life policies back in the day. Or if you didn't keep up with the premium payments, the policy could lapse too bad, so sad. But these are called guaranteed no lapse. And, and again, all the major carriers out there have them. But I would still take a multi-pronged approach. And I I'd heard the, the, the plug for WEPA. I, I still uh, steer folks in that direction because I want them to look at as a, a fiduciary every opportunity they have for insurance out there. And, and, and even the WEPA policy uh, has a it's and they don't call it a long term care necessarily, but there there's a, a benefit that kicks in if you need. I think I want to say it's continued care, but don't don't quote me on that. But uh, that's why I encourage folks to educate yourself, go out there and take a look at these different things. So, but I think that's that's depressing enough for me, Bob. Let's get talk about something else that's you know <laughs> equally depressing. It's, a, it's depressing, but but it's real. But let's talk about investments and time value of money and. Um, uh, you know, watch uh, the rate of return that you're getting. Don't do necessarily autopilot, but also don't try to be a financial planner if you're not. Well, no, that's that's a great point. And I, and I had a really positive comment back from a class because I've kind of gone back to what I, I've started doing originally. You, you forget to do the stuff that really works. Remember that, Bob? And <laughs> sure do. So, you, may, you, you pull out charts and you're like, I used to use this when I started in taxes and people loved it. And I just quit using it, you know. But, uh, but what I started saying to people is that, you know, I said, listen, I see the comments and chat boxes on these webinars and, and people confuse saving with investing. And, and so you have to put two different buckets out there. You have your savings and that could be your emergency fund or your money you've got saved up for a specific thing in the future versus investing. And when I say shoot, future short term, less than five to seven years. But then investing, it, it, you have to expect years like last year. And I had someone telling me that, oh, they were so worried about the C fund. What, you're worried about the 500 largest and medium company, medium-sized companies in the country? What are you worried about? Well, they could all go out of business. And I just paused there for people. I'm like, think about what you just said. You know, when, when that happens, the last thing Andrew's going to be worried about is, you know, uh, what his retirement account's worth. He's going to be worried about where he's going to get his next loaf of bread and some Slim Jims and, and some clean water, right? Because there's nowhere yeah. to shop. There's nowhere to spend. There's nowhere to fill your car with gas. All right. <laughs> Andrew says, this is a great time for a break. <laughs> so Absolutely. Let's take another break and let the listeners know about NITP. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career? Or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Welcome back to the final leg of today's show. We're talking with John Jillick, certified financial planner, fellow seminar presenter, and talking about different, different insurances. John, i got to ask you a tough question. How does somebody get in touch with you? Uh, it's easy, Bob. It's a trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, John, J-O-H-N-J at gmail.com. Uh, or you can always try me on the uh, 301-704-0544. So Can you do uh, that again slow? So Trader, T-R-A-D-E-R-J-O-H-N, the letter J, my initial, at gmail.com or 301-704-0544. Thank you, sir. All righty. So Andrew tells us we got 18 minutes left, right, Andrew? 
Andrew says I, yes. I mean, I think you, we have to, to lead off into the, the investment conversation and, and talk about that property casualty insurance. Okay, let's do that. So, I mean, we, we talked about the need for these insurances, but uh, what are those two again? Well, you have uh, three different types of property casualty, actually four if you, you include renter's insurance, but uh, folks are going to either you know own their home or rent. Uh, we just went through a transition from a, a house we owned to a house we had we bought and were working on, uh, meaning we weren't working on it. It was being renovated to a, a mild renovation. So we rented and, and I was impressed with, uh, you know, a major uh, real estate company in the area because, you know, it was still a no-go until we provided proof of renter's insurance. And and that's a loosey-goosey thing if you're renting from a, an individual versus a major corporation. But you have homeowners uh, uh, to cover the house burning down, fire insurance, your contents, your outbuildings, uh, you know, liability, uh, what they call medical to others. Uh, I looked at my policy a couple months back. I mean, I actually took the time to open and read it. Most people don't do that. That's Andrew's going to smile because he never opens his policies. <laughs> but uh, you read it from cover to cover because most people don't. I mean, when I say most, one out of uh, one out of a hundred. And you have to understand what you're insured for. But the medical payment to others is a liability if you get hurt or injured on my property. Well, here's the problem. Uh, you know, you look at your auto policy and suddenly you look at this liability to others and you go, what's that? Well, that's the same thing. If I injure someone with my auto, well, I have a boat. Well, on your boat insurance, you would have a liability to others and, and there's other types of insurance. You know, if you have a jet ski, you can get that insured personal watercraft. Um, but what if I'm operating someone else's boat, John? Oh, well, it comes down to their insurance, but if you've done something seriously wrong and get called into court, you want some insurance to cover you as well for that. So now you get into this thing called excess liability insurance. How do you get extra liability insurance to cover you for things other than just your own home, other than just your own car, your own boat? Well, it's, it's called umbrella liability. And so what I do when I, I teach class uh, for NITP is I, I take folks through a net worth worksheet and that net worth worksheet uh when we get to the bottom line i say okay we want to capture that number and in the example i use i have a couple one fed one non-fed and they're worth about nine hundred and six thousand dollars and at the end of the day is when i cover the personal insurance lines or property casualty insurance because I want them to take action immediately. It's one of the very few things that folks can get off the phone. They can, you know, stop listening at the end of this program today and they can actually make a call and, and make their life a lot better. And what I, I encourage feds and non-feds to do is get what I call proper insurance coverage or the acronym PIC. And, and I learned that from a good friend of mine, uh, Nick, back in the day. So I give him a plug, but uh, proper insurance coverage uh, you know, is the way he laid it out and the way that I lay it out uh, because it, it, it's what you're after. And, and with property casualty insurance, too many people want to save a buck. And if you look at the entire industry when they advertise, we can save you money on your auto insurance. We can save you money on your homeowner's insurance. We can, but no, you notice no one ever talks about umbrella liability because if everyone had it, the, the liability or the amount of money that the insurance company would be potentially liable for all insurance companies would be astronomical. So with umbrella liability, you're generally adding, say, an extra million dollars. <clears throat> so in this case, 906000 Bob, that's us. Again, we're a couple. That $906,000, well, if either one of us injures someone with our cars, they're going to come after that 906000 Well, we look at our policies this afternoon and we go, oh, geez. We've only covered ourselves for 125000 per person, 250000 per accident. That means if you or I injure someone severely and they can't return to work, they're paralyzed from the waist down, I'm just going to paint the worst-case scenario, uh, they're going to come after who for that money? They're going to come after me. Not, I mean, you know, not us as a couple, but me. And so anything that I own personally, I've got 30 more years of federal service to go. I work at a radio station. Uh, you know, I've got, I don't know how many more years to go, like Andrew. Uh, they're going to come after us, and they can garnish our paycheck in a settlement. They can come after not our retirement assets, luckily, uh, cash assets at a bank. Uh, you know, you inherited a, a nice condo in the beach, and you didn't want to put it in your spouse's name, too, because you heard maybe you should keep that separate. 
uh, all that stuff is up for grabs and what any good ins- sorry attorney with a personal injury attorney is just get enough liability excess liability coverage so when i teach this you know you can imagine a scenario that i've described severe accidents someone's been injured that's not the time i want to look at my auto policy and find out it's 125,000 in coverage per person because in a in a in a lawsuit in a personal injury case they're going to take me to court it's going to be in front of a jury and they're going to paint me as this really well-to-do fed uh, makes great money they've got a, a you know net worth of about a million dollars combined and and all of the attorneys are here and i believe in that case is ding 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 right game on because they know they're going to get the 125 from your insurance policy for your auto uh but where's the rest of it going to come from in a in a lawsuit and a judgment that comes after you personally and, and i've been told that if you don't have enough coverage once that judgment happens they immediately uh put a lien against your house and, and bob, bob's going to go well, wait a minute i'm married to you how can they do that well bob they're hoping that you die before i do and i die before their client does right because right. they can still collect on that in the future so the only way out of this for me i've been told by attorneys is i have to declare bankruptcy and again, I go back to being a Fed. How many of you Feds listening out there have security clearances that would immediately be jeopardized or you would like to get a security clearance in the future that would be jeopardized? Because it doesn't say on any loan document or any security clearance, uh, have you declared bankruptcy and was it discharged already? It says, have you ever in big, bold, underlined letters have you ever declared bankruptcy is the question. So that's not something clearly I want to do. And again, I'm going to come back to an attorney. If there's an attorney we're here, well, just John, stop talking. Just tell them to get excess liability insurance. But why hasn't your insurance company told you about this? Why isn't it at the top of their priority list? And I always question that. So what you do after this program today is you call up your insurance company and say, hey, and some folks are thinking, hey, I have it already. Andrew's thinking he has it already, or he's going to raise his hand and say, John, I know I've got it. But we can see each other, by the way. So <laughs> what happens is with this this umbrella liability is it's a third policy. You'll get an envelope with your auto policy, an envelope with your homeowners or renters, and you'll get an envelope with an umbrella liability policy. And once you call the company this evening and say, hey, I'd like to add an umbrella liability policy, I always throw out the idea that, you know, you want to talk to the umbrella liability team and make sure that before you go to anyone, say, I'd like to add an umbrella liability policy. The folks that deal with that insurance at an insurance company, uh, they have been through the other areas of insurance. They've probably been with the company for seven to 10 years. They know how to manipulate the homeowners or renters coverages and the auto coverages in order for you to be able to get the umbrella liability. And with that said, it's it's a policy that if you're single is 10 bucks a month on average. Uh, if you're married, it's 20 bucks a month because there's two of you. And you can add for that an extra million dollars on top of the coverage in your auto policy and your homeowners. And it covers you then outside of your own personal, uh, you're driving someone else's car, you're driving a rental car on vacation. Again, don't take my word for that. Uh, you have to read the policy. You have to ask them, what would I, what else would I be covered for? And the interesting thing is most folks don't realize that, but it also covers you for your legal representation. And I've had folks in Glasgow, oh, I was, I, I was in an accident and XYZ companies sent an attorney. Well, they sent an attorney to cover them for the 125 um, on your policy for your auto, for your coverage. But they didn't hire a local attorney. If it went to a jury trial, you have to get your own attorney. And I've asked attorneys, what would I expect to pay out of pocket for that process? And they said, "Eh, I've heard anything from 50 to 85 grand in the Washington metro area. Like, let me get this right. So that's not going to be paid for my my auto policy. They're like, no, they're going to cover themselves. They're going to represent you to a certain point. But at a certain point, if it's heinous, you're going to have to get your own representation. That's a lot of money. And that's, again, when I, I, I just throw out legal representation and in total, people are like, oh, for 10 bucks a month, if I'm single, 20 if we're married, that's a no-brainer. But here's the wonderful thing is I love umbrella liability, and this is why the, I believe the insurance companies don't like it, is that once you add the umbrella liability coverage, you get these things that flow in the, in the get-go, and I'm not throwing out company names, they've been talking about for years, this concept. It's not an insurance term. It's called bundling. 
once you add the umbrella liability, you get two more cross-policy discounts, one to the home, one to the auto. And what that does, it ends up paying for the umbrella liability coverage. It's a net zero transaction, as, as Bob would call it. So that's why I encourage people, I mean, get yourself proper insurance coverage, add that umbrella liability because it is your net worth builds. And, and during class, let's just say someone does their net worth statement and they're worth $2 million. I would want them to have a $2 million umbrella policy, which is not that much more expensive. It's, it's maybe $100 or so than a $1 million policy. So the more you build your net worth and more you build your nest egg, the more important it's going to become. But even entry-level feds, I had I had about 50 engineers in a room one time, and they were not a one of them except for – actually, one of them was married, and they had just bought a house. Uh, why would we need it? And I looked at all of them. I said, well, you, based on the agency you work with, do you have security clearances? And every hand in the room went up. Well, that's why I would have it because, you know, if you had to declare bankruptcy because you got sued and you couldn't afford to pay for it, what would it do to your career? It would jeopardize it. So folks at every end of the spectrum should have it. And the interesting thing is if you have kids that are about to drive, you better dive on the phone really quick because once you have a teenage driver, uh, you're not going to get umbrella liability. If you have it before they drive, then you have it. And a lot of folks have been responding to me lately with that. And then I just say back to them, see if they'll exclude your teenage driver, because just because you, they can't have it doesn't mean you shouldn't have it. Wow. So it's a lot, it's a lot to take in on that one, but I, I just wanted to get that, that all the way from start to finish. So when you do the presentations at the um, seminars, how many people come up to, as a percentage of the people in class, how many people come up and say, I didn't know that? Or, I didn't, or excuse me, they, they're not going to say I didn't know that. They don't understand the dynamics. The, you know, you, you start out very basic, very simple, and then you add the dynamics in. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, you know, the, you know everybody should be listening to this show. 90%. And that's not an exaggeration in any way, shape, or form. Next time you're, you're, you're teaching class, Bob, you come behind me and just say, hey, you know, just I'm curious. I see 50 folks are in attendance today. How many of you have umbrella liability insurance? And you're going to be blown away. It's, it's like asking the question, how many of you have basic legal documents, a willpower? It's, it's less than the folks that actually have legal documents, in my, my experience. And, again, it's because the insurance companies don't talk about it. Uh, again, if, the, if suddenly everybody in your book of business wanted this insurance and it was a net zero transaction, and I mean, now what are the chances that you're paying out a million, two million, three million? Uh, it would be an, a huge, huge, I, I think, liability for the insurance industry to, to handle. But I'm out there, spoiler alert, making sure that folks know this. And there's a couple other minor things because I know we have some time here. Uh, when you're reviewing your auto policy, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, just I'm going to paint the picture. He and his friend uh, left their house or his house, uh, you know, about uh, two years ago. Uh, beautiful Sunday, Route 260, Calvert County. And they, they successively hit the side of a pickup truck. They were going 45 miles an hour on each of their motorcycles as a guy pulled in front of them. Oh, Okay. And, and so, so I always, always assert the need for folks to have uninsured, underinsured motorists. And now I have a great example. And I told my buddy, I said, I'm going to use your example. Uh, the vehicle that they hit, the, the driver had 75000 in liability coverage. And no, didn't own a house, didn't have assets that could be attached, not suable, if suable is a word. So they get to split 75000 there. And then, because they were both severely injured, back trauma. I mean, you, 45 miles an hour to a stop on a motorcycle. Yeah, is, yeah. You don't have to imagine here. Now, they went back to their own motorcycle policies, and they had the state of Maryland minimum, 30000 per person, 60000 per occurrence. Well, they were each on their own motorcycle, so guess what they're getting from their own company? Thirty mm -hmm. grand and have a nice day. So that does that compensate you in an accident like that? And the answer is no, it doesn't. And so folks are like, well, wait a minute. And when you look at your own policy, if you're a Maryland driver, you'll see 3060. And I could give you in a longer show, you know, the reason why that is. I actually walked through the accident that caused the legislation to be put in 
to raise it. I think back in the day, it was it was ten, it was ten thousand twenty. It was very extremely low, and now it's thirty sixty uh, because of an uninsured driver accident, or you know that happened, or underinsured driver accident that had happened over in Hughesville, Maryland. Now think about that you know what does that need to be and it needs to be half a million per person half a million per occurrence if either one of them had had that they could have gone after their own insurance company for up to half a million dollars and so when you're talking to those folks tonight talk about that uninsured underinsured motorist and max it out if they'll give you more than half a million that's not my experience get more okay john you got me curious how do i what number do I call or what email do I go to to talk to you? Well, again, it's Trader John J, uh, T R A D E R J O H N J at gmail.com or 301 704 One more time, slow. Trader, T R A D E R J O H N J, my initial at gmail.com, 301 704 Wow. How long have we been doing this together? Uh, 13 years, 14 years. Yeah. yeah. Let's go 14. It's a luckier number. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you, sir. Andrew, what do we got? One minute. So final one minute. (laughs) Well, Bob, I feel like I've been doing all the talking. I mean, you, uh, I mean, you you sound like we've, I've given you some tidbits today that maybe you can act on or help folks in class yourself with. Well, actually, I do a, a little bit of that. I'm, I'm uh, now I have your tutelage, so I can probably do more than a little bit. Um, but I liked your examples um, and uh, the clarity. So you weren't talking, you know, insurances. You were talking about normal people with normal issues that sometimes they don't, they're not aware of. Anyway, I think that's it for the day. Thank you ever so much for coming on, Andrew. Thank you for keeping us uh, alive. And um, let's do it again, John. Sounds good, Bob. Thank you very much, Andrew. All right. Take care. And listeners, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search for your benefit. Thanks for listening.